Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 444 Thursday, November 4th. Today on the show, there is a ton of news around the Nashville Predators organization as their four-game winning streak comes to an end on Wednesday evening. Josh Ward from WNML joins us to talk about the health of the Tennessee Volunteers roster and their matchup with the Kentucky Wildcats this weekend. But we begin with what is a reasonable expectation for the players who are going to replace Derrick Henry, Adrian Peterson, Dante Foreman, and Jeremy McNichols. If you live in Nashville and you own a home, you need to know the name The Kingston Group. BuildKG.com is the website. They are a locally owned, award-winning custom home and remodeling firm, and they've been successful in this business for over a decade in this market because they do it the right way. You can trust that they will have your best interests at heart. Call them. Give them a ring. The Kingston Group. If you're BuildKG.com, that's The Kingston Group. After sufficiently arguing to death about what Adrian Peterson's nickname should be, it's AD, short for all day, by the way, given to him by his parents at age three or four, if you'd like to call people by their actual names and not just their initials. The real question, however, about the Derrick Henry-less Titans offense is what can this team still get out of its backfield? And is that enough to keep this offense running smoothly enough to stay around 500 the rest of the season? Because around 500, let's say 4-5 and over the final nine games, is really all the Titans need to do to probably win the division. So can new signings Peterson and Dante Foreman, along with Jeremy McNichols, provide enough cover on the ground so that Ryan Tannehill in the play-action game can still be effective in sucking in defenders and creating space for A.J. Brown and, ideally at some point, Julio Jones? So what are reasonable expectations? Peterson is 36 years old and played in all 16 games last season for the Detroit Lions, starting 10 of them. He rushed 156 times for 604 yards and seven touchdowns. No small accomplishment for a 35-year-old, even if it was just 3.9 yards per carry. In his 10 starts, he averaged 11.5 carries per game. I think this should be the goal. If he can give you 11 carries per game at around 4 yards per carry, let's call it 10 carries for 40 yards on average each week, I think you're hitting the mark. I think that's enough to fill at least one part of the gap left by Henry which would be the short yardage between the tackles, tough physical yards part. Another part will need to be filled by Foreman. The 25-year-old is well-known by this coaching staff as he played a handful of games last season for the Titans in spot duty, carrying 22 times for 95 yards in five games. Also, right at 3.9 yards per carry. So let's say that he hits his averages from last year as well. Does five carries for 20 yards sound like a lot of production? Not at all, but it could be just enough to spell the aging Peterson. So right now we're talking about 15, 16 carries for about 60 yards from the two true runners on the team. Now what about McNichols and his ability as a receiver, not just a runner? Well, he's averaging this season about four touches per game at 30 yards from scrimmage per game. If we just expand his role even by just a fraction, well, six touches for 40 yards from scrimmage per game is totally reasonable. And those pass plays are largely just an extension of the running game anyway. So between the three, can we at a very conservative estimate, get the Titans backfield to about 20-ish touches for about 100-ish yards from scrimmage per game between the three of them? Maybe. And to me, that would absolutely be good enough to win four of their last nine games and allow Todd Downing to continue to keep play action front and center in his offense. And again, those seem like conservative estimates to me. If we want to let our imaginations run wild, Jones is back fully healthy, pressuring defenses even more. Kari Blossom game is back healthy and allowing the power rushing attack to flourish. And McNichols actually opens up the playbook to a few new wrinkles that wouldn't be run as much with Henry in the game. What does this all mean? That the Titans could be okay without Derrick Henry. 
not great, not competing for the one seed in the AFC like they were doing with the King, but also not terrible or disastrous, just okay. And just okay probably wins you the division in 2021, even if you do get boat raced by the Los Angeles Rams on Sunday Night Football this weekend. It is Thursday morning. That means we head to Knoxville to talk Tennessee Volunteers with Josh Ward of WNML. You can follow him, of course, on Twitter at Josh underscore Ward. Josh, good to see you. Um, First and foremost, how healthy is this Tennessee roster after the bye week heading into the Kentucky game on Saturday? It appears to be the healthiest Tennessee has been since the Vols went out there for the season opener against Bowling Green. And that's really good because obviously Tennessee wants to be as fresh as possible for this game. But it also means Tennessee is healthy at important positions uh, or healthier. We'll see how healthy Cade Mays is, assuming he goes out there, but he's expected to be available at right tackle. Cooper Mays has been able to play the last couple of weeks in practice and now has had more time to get ready for this game. And that obviously is important for what Tennessee wants to do offensively, how fast they go with what their center is able to do. And then Tyon Evans running behind them uh, as well as Jabari Small. He's played, but played through injury. So extra time to heal up is really good timing for Tennessee in a game where They're going to have to be physical and have to be ready up front against Kentucky. More important matchup, in your opinion, Tennessee's ability to go down the field and attack Kentucky secondary or Kentucky's offensive line and their ability to control the line of scrimmage against Tennessee's defense. Uh, I think that it's going to be Tennessee's ability to make plays through the air, because if that's the case, then I think Tennessee has more potential offensively to make it challenging for Kentucky to have to keep up to the point that if Kentucky's able to establish what it's doing along the line of scrimmage, but not really hit big plays and not really put a lot of points on the board, then it's forced to do something differently. And then that's not going to matter as much. So part of it would be pressing the issue offensively on Tennessee side to put Kentucky in uh, an un unfamiliar situation where it's saying, okay, are we going to be good enough offensively? Can Will Levis be able to go make plays that we haven't asked him to do a lot? If that's the case, I like Tennessee's chances to win the game. How quickly do you think you will know if Tennessee's defense will hold up on Saturday night? Well, one question I have because of games against Ole Miss and Alabama recently, can the opposing team's quarterback keep them moving? So not necessarily through the air, but on the ground. If Levis is able to see on film, hey, wait a minute, Matt Corral and and Bryce Young and Kenny Pickett earlier in the season. Emory Jones. Yeah, able to get out and make some plays. I'm not saying he has to go for 100 to 200 yards on the ground, but extend a few drives, and that comes back to making things more difficult on Tennessee's defense, maybe wearing them down or frustrating them, certainly frustrating Tennessee fans. Yeah, that's something to, to pay attention to, I think, early on. Conversely, if he tries and Tennessee's able to take him down and get off the field and get some early third down stops, they couldn't get those stops on third down against Alabama. And ultimately, there was going to be no chance against the Tide with that being the case. You get some stops against Kentucky, you have a really good chance. So uh, let's see that early on. The line of scrimmage matters, but the ability to extend plays and then extend drives, that could be a big storyline because it already has been for Tennessee's defense this year. It feels like you're leaning Tennessee on the road in a very short, but albeit upset. Yeah, I do like Tennessee. I don't love Tennessee's chances compared to you know a game like South Carolina, uh, which is not saying too much. But you know, on the road against Kentucky, I expect the Wildcats to be focused. And there's the psychological game. Did the loss to Mississippi State actually help Kentucky a little bit? Does that create a little more fear for Tennessee? You know, so we we play these games. I look at it and and I have confidence that Josh Heupel, Hendon Hooker, and that offense 
will be able to make enough explosive plays to where it becomes difficult for Kentucky to keep up. If I'm wrong in that, then I think my prediction and who wins the game will be wrong as well. How did you parent your children on Tuesday evening when the Braves won the World Series? It was all me uh, because I have a a three-year-old and a one-year-old and my son, uh, Owen, who is the three-year-old, he likes the Braves. He has Braves gear, but he doesn't really understand that this team versus that team part yet. He just, he likes to turn baseball on, likes to turn basketball on. So I told him the morning after who won the game, Uh, but it it was all me by myself in a, a bottle of emotions along with a text chain. And of course, all my Twitter friends celebrating that Braves win. Hopefully a bottle of something else as well. Um, Congratulations to you. I will say this. My wife and I tried to explain baseball to our five-year-old and we can explain soccer and hockey and football really easily. It is, it is insane trying to explain baseball to a five-year-old. It's, 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 it's insane. Yeah. At this point, we try to keep our our kids from watching too much television, but when we come home from school and Owen says, want to watch baseball or want to watch basketball, I immediately turn it on. We're starting those lessons early. Yes, absolutely. It's fascinating trying to explain it to a five-year-old. Congratulations to your Braves. Uh, Josh, always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. Good to see you. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you. I'd also still say Owen's favorite part is probably stopping in the seventh inning to sing about popcorn as well. So thank you, Braden. It has already been an extremely eventful first few weeks of the season for the Nashville Predators. After a 1-4 start and then a four-game winning streak that included multiple wins over first-place type teams, including Calgary on Tuesday, The Preds lost the second leg of their Western Conference road trip on Wednesday night against, that's right, first place Edmonton. And as hockey can be fundamentally confusing, the Preds actually played a much better defensive game against the Oilers in the 5-2 loss on Wednesday than they actually did in the 3-2 overtime win over the Flames on Tuesday. But after a three-goal third period for Edmonton, the Preds fell back to 5-5 on the season. Rookie Connor Ingram got his second career NHL start in net on Wednesday night and was solid enough, but the Oilers are just insanely powerful right now, and it was the second game of a back-to-back after overtime the night before, and the Preds basically just ran out of gas in the third period. Matt Duchesne scored the Preds' first goal of the game in the first period on Wednesday to keep his team in the game after notching the game winner in overtime the night before. He added an assist later in the game and now has four goals and nine points in ten games this year, He had six goals and 13 points in all of last season. Next up, the Preds will head further west to face Vancouver, thankfully not even close to a first-place team, on Friday evening before taking on the dumpster fire that is the Chicago Blackhawks on Sunday. Outside of the win-loss record, however, there is a lot going on with this Preds team. It was announced on Wednesday that Pecorine will become the first player in franchise history to have his number retired this coming February. It's quite an honor. The great Terrence Arthur Crisp, a.k.a. Crispy, announced Tuesday that he will retire from his broadcast post after 20-plus years of Predators coverage and ambassadorship. And most importantly, Philip Forsberg is week-to-week after leaving Tuesday's game with an upper body injury. He collided with Roman Yossi in the open ice in the third period and never returned to the bench. Defenseman Mark Borowiecki and Philippe Myers are also day-to-day with minor maladies as well. And oh, by the way, Bridgestone Arena has announced that they will no longer be requiring proof of vaccination or negative tests to go to Preds games beginning November 13th. For much more on the Preds' recent winning streak, Forsberg's injury, Duchesne's resurgence, the Blackhawks' scandal, Crispy, Pekka, Bridgestone, and so much more, make sure you're tuned in to the Gold Standard Podcast with The Athletic's Adam Bingen and myself out every single Thursday wherever podcasts are found. 
Adam wrote an excellent story on Connor Ingram's struggle with mental health issues from last season, and we're going to dive into that on the show this week as well. So tune in, rate, review, and subscribe. Special thanks, of course, to the folks who bring you the 440 every single morning for free, the Kingston Group. BuildKG.com is the website. Just keep that name in mind if you're a homeowner in Nashville. If you're looking to do some work on your house, make sure you remember the name, the Kingston Group. Just have a conversation with them. BuildKG.com is the website. Thank you guys all for listening. Please share the show. We do appreciate it. Follow us at 440 Media on Instagram, at 440 Sports on Twitter. My name is Braden Gall. Thank you guys all for listening. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler.